0: Hi, I'm Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion, and welcome to DRIVE, BOF's podcast series delivered by DHL, where we hear the stories of fashion's most dynamic entrepreneurs in their own words. This week, we explore the rise of Rent the Runway, which was founded by Jennifer Hyman and Jennifer Fleiss, with the radical idea of bringing the sharing economy to the fashion industry by creating a closet in the clouds, allowing customers to rent and return designer clothes, disrupting an age-old business model. In this episode, BOF's chief correspondent in New York, Lauren Sherman, sits down with founder and chief executive Jennifer Hyman to learn what it really takes to grow a global fashion business from scratch.
1: I didn't start Rent the Runway because I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I started Rent the Runway because I want women to feel incredible about themselves every single day. We were some of the first people, let alone women, to raise money while being students in decades. I've always felt like it's weird that so much of fashion is cut off to so much of the world. We're taught to aspire to a lifestyle that 99% of us will never be able to truly afford. And what would happen to women's lives if they were able to feel like the best versions of themselves every single day.
0: Lauren started by asking Jennifer why she decided to go to business school back in 2007.
1: I went to business school because I really did not like the job that I was in immediately prior to business school. worked really hard in the five years after college and had got what I thought was a dream job. I was doing business development for the fashion division of IMG, which owns all of the fashion weeks around the world and owned a modeling agency and I was meant to be there to innovate their business. and. You know, I was going into work every single day and the culture of the company at the time was highly cutthroat. I was the only woman in an 80-person division of men. It was just a very uncomfortable and aggressive environment to be in every day. And I made a commitment to myself that I needed to find a job where when I woke up in the morning and the alarm went off, I was really excited. So, interestingly, most people go to business school and they say, I really want to leave this place and be in this industry, or I really want to, I'm coming here for a specific reason. My reason was I want to find happiness in my career. I want to go back to the feeling of creativity and excitement I had in my first job after college, which was a job at Starwood Hotels where I was essentially acting like an in-house
2: entrepreneur. And... And so when you get to business school, you come up with this idea. You were at, a, at a, your sister's wedding or your cousin's wedding?
1: No, I was in my second year of school, and I was home in New York City for Thanksgiving break with my younger sister, Becky. Okay. And she had just bought a Marquesa dress at Bergdorf mm-hmm. that cost her close to $2,000 to wear to a wedding that weekend. Okay. And I'm having you know, the typical older sister, younger sister conversation with her where I'm like, you're crazy. Return this dress, it just put you into credit card debt. It costs more than your rent. I was in front of her closet that was filled with designer clothing that she'd only worn once, asking her why didn't she repeat something in her closet. And her response was really the genesis of the idea. Her response is, everything in my closet is dead to me. I've been photographed in it. The photos are up on Facebook. I need something new. And you know, what's really interesting about that is if you think about the closet, the closet is a story of what once was. These are the jeans that used to fit me. Here's the, sh- the blouse that used to be in style. Here's the thing I wore like that night out eight years ago. And sometimes we're praying that these items will be reused, but it's kind of like a museum of your life. The closet is not a story of today, and it's certainly not a story of tomorrow. So I was really thinking in that moment, what my sister wanted is she cared about the experience of walking into a wedding, feeling self-confident, wearing a brand that was aspirational to her, and then she cared about the photo that would exist afterwards, that she would use to brand herself to her thousand friends on Facebook at the time about the fact that she felt self-confident. So she wanted it to express a feeling. And you know the idea of the experience economy today, that people prefer experiences over ownership, is nothing new. But at the time, it was radical to assume that the experience economy could be part of the closet and part of getting dressed. And I think the connection between clothing and emotion was something that I understood from the very beginning. And that's really what the idea was meant to unlock.
2: So when you you go back to school, you come up with a business plan? No, 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 no. We've never had a business plan for Rent the Runway.
1: Uh, So this is on a Saturday night. I'm having this conversation with Becky. I go back to school, I have lunch on Monday with my friend Jenny. She was a close friend of mine in my section. I tell her about the weekend. I discuss with her this idea, wouldn't it be fun if women could rent dresses? Because we all have that icky feeling of opening up our closets and seeing a a closet filled with regret. All of these dresses we've only worn once. And that was the extent of the idea. And Jenny was like, this sounds really fun. Let's work on it. So we decided that afternoon to cold email Diane van Furstenberg. And we cold emailed, you know, 10 different iterations of her email address. And one of those addresses went through. And someone in her office replied, I'll see you tomorrow at 5 p.m. And so the very next day we drove down together to New York, put on DVF dresses, and introduced ourselves as the co-founders of Rent the Runway to Diane. Did she sign on? No, <laughs> she didn't sign on, um, but she did importantly tell us the many reasons why she was skeptical of our idea. Mm-hmm. And that enabled us to actually understand how we could build a business that was beneficial to designers. So when we came in, we didn't really have a business. We just had this idea. What if we rented dresses at 5 to 10% of the price? And clearly her response, which was very normal, was like, no, that sounds terrible. Like, you would cannibalize my retail sales. You'd dilute my brand. Like, who would ever want to buy something if you can rent it for 5 to 10% of the price? But by the end of our conversation, she had conveyed that there was a bit of a customer acquisition problem for her. Mm-hmm. That many of her customers were aging. She wasn't attracting the customers in their teens, 20s, and 30s in the way that brands had in prior, you know, decades or generations, and that if Rent the Runway could be a service that introduced the next generation of consumers to designer brands, that that would provide an industry value proposition. Because remember, the customer value proposition was was super clear from the very beginning. But I think the only way that you can build a business that truly explodes is if you are, um, developing something with a customer value proposition and an industry
2: value proposition. So you're helping designers and you're helping customers. So early on, how did you get people to sign on and say yes? It was really
1: tough. So I didn't have prior experience in the fashion industry. And this is an industry where everything is based on relationships and trust. So I had to create trust in very short periods of time. And how do you do that if no one knows you? Well, one way you do that is you always follow through on what you say you're going to do. So I never made a promise that I couldn't keep. I always would have a meeting expecting that the first five meetings I would have, people would say, no way, this is terrible, I'll never do this. But then at the end of the meeting, I'd say, okay, well, three months from now, I'm going to come back and I'm going to tell you about how we executed all the things I just talked to you about. And so they would begin to see a pattern that they could trust me, that I was actually going to act on what I promised the second thing that was super important is in recognition that the industry is based on trust you need to act with respect for the fact that these brands have been around for many years or many decades or many centuries for some of these brands and that what was extremely important to the brand is the preservation of luxury the preservation of the premium aspects of the brand. So let's take a corollary example. Uber comes into a city and decides to barrel their way through. They're not trying to work with the established taxi or transportation industries. They're like, we're going to just cut around the side and create a disruptive consumer value proposition. For me, I felt that So what I could have done is I could have gone to Neiman Marcus or Saks or Net-A-Porter. I could have bought all of the designer product that I wanted at retail prices. It It would have been very expensive, but I could have done this. And I could have put it up on our site. But I decided I would never do that, that I would never put a single unit of inventory up on Rent the Runway unless I was procuring it directly from the brand with the permission of that brand's designer and CEO, because I knew that... I was trying to build a business that lasted. And if I were to go behind the backs of even one brand, even one time, that that would ruin my reputation and my level of trust in the industry. So one of the things I'm really proud of is that 10 years in, every single unit of inventory on on Rent the Runway is something that we have bought directly from a brand. And what that meant at the beginning is that I didn't have a lot of inventory up. So, we launched in November of 2009 with 28 brands. A lot of the brands we launched with subsequently went out of business within the next few months. Like, the only reason why they decided to work <laughs> with us in the first place is they had nothing to lose. Yeah. Right. So, there were some early adopters who got what we were doing, and more power to them. Like, Badgley Mishka was the first brand that signed on. They understood from the very beginning that this would be such a powerful marketing and sales channel for them. But most brands who signed on at the beginning didn't have their um, kind of innovative thinking. Most brands were like, okay, this girl has a checkbook. She's willing to write me a check. I know I'm going to go out of business anyway. Why not?
2: In the beginning when you were doing mostly special occasion, were most of the brands giving you late season inventory, or was it all in season? When did you see, kind of what is the balance now between past season inventory and in season inventory that you're buying from, from these brands?
1: Most of the brands that we started working with at the beginning, we were buying in season inventory. So it's always been the business model of Rent the Runway that we go to all of the regular fashion shows and market appointments, and we choose from the collection in season. And that's really important because we're trying to create the very best first impression for 10 million new customers of these brands. So you don't want the leftover product that the brands have in onesies and twosies that Um, isn't really providing the customer with the best experience. The brands that signed on understood that this was going to be a powerful marketing channel, so therefore they wanted to put their best foot forward when it came to what the product selection was going to be. Now what we do though is when we we buy the inventory when it's brand new, we put it up when it's brand new. However, we keep it up on the site until it doesn't look brand new anymore. So in some cases, that could be that it's up on the site for two months. In some cases that can mean it's up on the site for two years. And it's really based on the original quality of the merchandise that we're buying and then how we care for it as well.
2: And how is your buy different than a traditional retailer?
1: Our buy is as different as it gets than a traditional retailer. And this is one of the reasons why brands have come to love working with us. So a traditional retailer thinks about sell-through rate. They think about what are customers most likely to want to own we think about what do women aspire to wear but that doesn't make rational sense for them to own. So most of our buy is color. Over 50% of our buy has some kind of embellishment on it. 45% of our buy is prints. You know, we are very trend focused and trend driven. Um, We're trying to give the customer the most editorial pieces of the collection. um, And we want fashion to be fun. We wanna showcase visually all that makes a brand exciting and of the moment. And back to like, you should be using fashion to express yourself and how you feel about yourself today. And you can do that more likely by wearing what your heart has always dreamed of wearing, not by settling for the more rational version. So, for ever, before Rent the Runway, the only option when it came to wearing clothing was to purchase something, and to wear it for the rest of your life. So you were constantly even in your head subconsciously making these decisions when you're in a store, or you're online, should I buy the canary yellow version of this top that I really am obsessed with? Or does that really make sense? Maybe I'll buy the navy one. It's more rational. So we're constantly settling for the option that's most rational. And when you give someone an unlimited closet, an unlimited choice, what you're really giving them is fashion freedom. And so that's really the power in Rent the Runway, to give people the freedom to separate the act of wearing from the act of owning.
2: So early on, bringing on brands obviously sounds like it was a challenge. But also, just think about the infrastructure of this company. It's so different than any traditional retailer brand or what have you. And it just requires so much on the back end. You're the country's largest dry cleaner. You have this whole logistics system that, you know, no one else had at that point. Yeah, we had to
1: build it from scratch. We had to understand what the system should actually be. We had to learn that what our business really was is we're in the business of restoring clothing to perfect condition. We're in the business of inbound logistics. So most e-commerce companies focus on outbound logistics. How quickly can I get this product to the customer? In our business, we focus on how quickly can I get this product back from the customer, make sure that it's perfect, and ship it out to the next customer. Now, when you receive a physical item of clothing back from someone, there's a lot of idiosyncrasies or abnormalities that could happen. There could be a glass of red wine that had spilled. There could be a seam that has ripped or a button that has fallen off. And so you can't put the clothing through some automated process. It has to be able to go through its own quality inspection process, its own dry cleaning process, its own repair and seamstress process. So we've had to develop intellectual property, on every single style, on where that style was created, on the designer and their level of quality and the fabrics they use, and therefore how we should care for that garment in order to restore it and in order to make sure that we can rent it multiple times.
2: So all of that costs a lot of money. Yes. When you started raising, how did you go about funding how much did you want to raise in the beginning? How much did you raise? You've raised quite a bit at this point, but how do you kind of approach it every every, you know, step of the way?
1: I think that at every step we were trying to raise as much as we could at that point in time without um, getting too ahead of our skis. So at this point we've raised close to over $400 million in capital. I think we've done that very methodically, though, in that there were a lot of things we had to prove at various stages along the way. I would say that for our seed and Series A investors, we had to prove that women would rent clothes and not consider it to be completely disgusting. Yeah, That was actually a huge uh, risk associated with the business, that if even we could convince people to wear clothing that other women had worn before would anyone ever share this or would it be like your dirty little secret yeah so we had to create a behavior that was smart enough and cool enough that women would feel proud of the fact that they had rented the runway and one of the things that i'm the proudest of today 10 years in is that 95 percent of our customers have heard about us from a friend So women are so proud that they have rented, they view it as being smart, and they want to kind of bring their group of friends and their colleagues in to the experience. So that was kind of one of the initial risks. I would say that between our Series A and our Series B fundraise, it was really about, okay, well, you've managed to get a lot of people to sign up for this. Can you scale this? Can you build out the proprietary technology and logistics to actually service the customer experience. So at every step along the way, there's new questions that investors will ask, and we'll have to kind of prove it through the 12 to 18 months of execution that we were able to accomplish that before we move on to the next round.
2: Do you think you'll keep raising money, or do you think, because if you look at, similar services in other categories like an uber or an airbnb or what have you they've raised billions yes they're obviously global but you know well
1: i think that no matter how you cut it um to grow at the rate that we want to grow we will raise money now you can raise money privately or you can raise money publicly and that's really the question of what's the right path but I see that the potential for Rent the Runway is far bigger than I ever dreamed it would be at the beginning of the company. I really believe we can put the closet in the cloud and that this is a global business and women all over the world will have a subscription to fashion, but that's going to take you know, more time and more money
2: this podcast is delivered by dhl as the logistics partner of many of fashion's biggest and most prestigious businesses dhl is stitched into the fabric of the 2.4 trillion dollar industry now present in more than 220 countries and territories dhl has decades of expertise in logistics and is the world's leading partner for the fashion jewelry and lifestyle industries delivering over 1 billion parcels each year Drawing on its entrepreneurial expertise, DHL offers tailored logistic solutions suitable for any fashion business. From emerging designers, to established global mega brands, to independent stores, e-commerce giants and direct-to-consumer startups. For more information about DHL, visit DHL.com. So thinking about your customer's journey and to start it was special occasion. Now you have a subscription service where 50% of your business is coming from that. Women are using it 120 times a year. Is that right? Yes. 120 days a year. Yes. Just got these stats recently. So they're top of mind. Um, But they're using it for what they wear to work, for the weekends, for everything. There's not a category that they're leaving behind. How did that when, did, when was there a shift where it wasn't just for prom and weddings or what have you?
1: We saw that women were hacking our special events business for work. So women would rent a dress and they would keep it on a Monday or a Tuesday and put a black blazer over it and wear it into the office. And then because we've always had this incredible customer feedback loop with our customers, we have, you know, over 50% of our customers providing detailed reviews after they rent the runway, and that's been the case historically. We started hearing from our customers that it was awesome that we enabled people to rent for special occasions. However, the occasion that was most special in most of our customers' lives was actually work. That's where they wanted to feel the most confident. That's where they wanted to dress for the job they wanted. And so they were basically begging us to create an ability for them to rent the runway for work and we had to really iterate what that meant and how we would develop a subscription product that was applicable for work and i would say that even though it's two and a half years in right now and customers are using this 120 days of the year we're still iterating the subscription so over the past year alone we've launched into the subscription, knits, cold weather, warm weather, sweatshirts, activewear, maternity, plus um, 150 new brands across every, denim. I mean, categories that make it easier for you to have your closet in the cloud so give you more reasons to come to Rent the Runway because some days you wanna wear jeans and a flannel shirt and some days you wanna wear you know, a designer dress. But also the fact that it's in constant evolution. I think the one thing that people outside of the world of startups and entrepreneurship don't really get is that a product is never done. A business is never like complete. Whatever our subscription is today, the only commitment that I will make to you and to any of my customers today is that it'll be totally different three months from now and six months from now because we're gonna keep on improving it. We're gonna keep on improving it for our brand partners and we're gonna keep on improving it for our customers. And so if you think about one of the best quote unquote startups in the world or likely the best is Amazon, You know, they didn't become the everything store overnight every few weeks or every few months, there's something else on Amazon that makes you even more loyal to them, that gives you more reasons to shop Amazon. So my goal is I'm going to make it fiscally irresponsible for you to not have a subscription to fashion through Run the Runway in the future.
2: How has your relationship with the industry changed with fashion brands in particular? I I hear from fashion brands that, For many of them, you are one of their biggest partners. You're writing the biggest checks for orders in in some cases. That's drastically different than launching with, what, 30 brands. What does that kind of relationship look like now?
1: I think that the relationship with the industry has completely changed. I mean, it's changed from the industry fearing us because... And believe me, I understand why they feared us, because it was so new, and it was so different, and we didn't know who the customer was going to be, and we didn't know the effect this would have on the business. And now, we've become one of the most important partners to the brand to help them compete and help them win against their true competitor, which is the world of fast fashion and the world of cheap fashion. So, Businesses like Amazon, Walmart, Target, H&M, Zara, comprise the far majority of how we spend our fashion wallets all over the world. So if you think about, okay, if what the customer wants is constant variety, the only way that the customer can afford constant variety in a world before Rent the Runway is to buy a lot of things very cheaply from these purveyors of of fast fashion, now we're providing a competitive option. We're saying for the same price that you used to spend at fast fashion, instead have a subscription to designer clothing. You're gonna get even more variety, even more choice, and you're gonna be wearing the real thing. And so we're the only option for these brands to compete at a mass market price point, but preserve the luxury premium of the brand. With Rent the Runway, they're able to design high-quality, beautiful product and their most editorial product. I'm going to buy it from them at the regular price, right? I'm buying the real thing. And then just because of the subscription model or the rental model, I'm able to give it to the customer at a competitive price to Amazon or to Zara.
2: So what do you see the closet looking like? Because you're selling activewear. You're selling denim now. Well,
1: not selling. We're renting. You're
2: renting. Um, Well, you're selling it for a very short period of time in a way, right? Well,
1: we're enabling people to wear it. And even with denim, no one is renting a pair of blue straight leg jeans from us. They are renting velvet overalls. They're renting denim with fringes and embroidery all over it. Like they're renting the trend version of denim that is highly seasonal and highly of the moment.
2: But do you see that changing? The The customer has al- already evolved so much. Don't you think at one point they might want to rent those straight leg denim jeans? And will you, you'll you'll obviously be there for it, but... What do you, where do you think the customer is going in terms of behavior and what percentage of the closet would be rental versus?
1: I think that women are going to start to think about their closets in terms of rent, own, invest versus wear, as opposed to high-low. So there are lots of items that women should own. And when they own items like a black cashmere sweater, they should be looking for a black cashmere sweater that's made in very high quality, that's gonna last for many years, that is from a brand that they have fallen in love with and they trust and they wanna keep it as part of their closet. And I think that Rent the Runway can be the canvas for all of the skirts or all of the printed pants to wear with that black cashmere sweater. What the exact percentages are, I'm not sure. I do know that 80% of the fashion wallet in the United States right now goes to basically this fast fashion category or one-time use clothing. And that there's been a major shift over the past 30 years. It used to be that over 70% of purchases were happening in department stores now um, around just above 25% are happening there. So if you think about it in that way, the, the average American is only spending 20 cents on the dollar in brands or in designers in the first place. They're spending the rest on junk and that junk is not making any money for those brands or designers. So if they do shift to subscription, I'm buying that inventory directly from those brands.
2: I am curious to know. You started this business with a co-founder. You came out of Harvard Business School. It was a fashion company. In the ten years that that followed, a lot of people came out of business school to female co-founders mm-hmm. starting fashion brands, or or beauty, or what have you. It's a it's sort of a two-pronged question, but one is. That pattern matching that happens in Silicon Valley, what do you think about that? Your co-founder has left left the company last year, but she's still on the board, right? Mm-hmm. And and is doing another project. An amazing business called Jet Black. And and but it's very interesting to me that it that did sort of become almost a quote unquote trend. And I'm just curious to know what you think about it. And then I guess the second part of that is, do you think Silicon Valley's relationship with fashion, but also just female-driven businesses has changed over, over the years? Or do you think that there's still kind of those same problems?
1: I think that the way that the world works, unfortunately, is through pattern recognition. So it's through seeing a successful example and then saying, okay... I will use that data to inform my next decisions. So in order for more women to get funded, we need many women to create multi-billion dollar exits. So we're very lucky that this year alone, there have been a few. You know, Katrina Lake uh, taking Stitch Fix public is fantastic for all women. Julia Hart's taking bright public is fantastic for all women. One of the reasons why I wanna to continue to build Rent the Runway, and I believe I can build a $100 billion brand, is because I know that that will open up opportunities for tens of thousands of women all over the world that never would have gotten a second look because I am certainly not the profile of someone who a venture capitalist would have given money to. I had no engineering experience. I had no logistics experience. I had no fashion experience. I was starting a fashion company that basically relied heavily on technology and logistics. So that's one element that we need to become the example. And we need to do everything that we can as customers and as women to make sure that there are 10 or 15 of us that get over that finish line so that no one will ever have a question again as to women investing in women and whether it will make huge financial outcomes and returns. In terms of Jenny and I, it's true. When we raised money at Harvard Business School, and, and we raised while we were still in school, In May of 2009, we were some of the first people, let alone women, to raise money while being students in decades. And it served as an example for women at Harvard Business School and other business schools that they could go and do this too, and they could use their time at business school to come up with an idea, and we were, unbelievably proud. And we still are to this day that our story gave some more confidence or that extra push to so many women who have created unbelievable businesses that are changing the world.
2: You said you want Rent the Runway to be a hundred billion dollar brand. How do you think you get there? At least what's the next step, if not all the steps?
1: (laughs) I really believe that everyone is going to have a subscription to fashion and that a portion of your closet will be in the cloud all over the world. And how you get there is you stay as passionate about the mission as we are today. You build an incredible team, which I've done, that is unbelievably passionate about that mission. And you have the key quality that you need in life, not just in entrepreneurship, which is resilience. Building anything in your life, going for anything is hard and there are ups and downs. And it's all about the humility and the resilience of learning from every experience, getting better, transforming yourself, bringing unbelievable people around you, and then enjoying the ride.
2: You know, the first time I met you, I remember thinking that whatever this person does, they will make it work because you are really the most driven person that I've ever interviewed. Oh my God. I'm not even joking. I just remember thinking she will do whatever she wants to do because she, you just will. It's really interesting. I don't know if it's necessarily
1: driven, but like I'm so passionate about this. I'm passionate about how clothing makes women feel and how empowering it is. And that fashion for me, I have always been obsessed with fashion. I've always spent way above what I should on clothing because of the fact that it's enabled me to express myself and express a multidimensional personality. And I've always felt like it's weird that so much of fashion is cut off to so much of the world that we're taught to aspire to a lifestyle that 99% of us will never be able to truly afford. And what would happen to women's lives if they were able to feel like the best versions of themselves every single day? You know, in a woman's life before Rent the Runway, she had kind of very few, what I would call Cinderella moments. Like her wedding day was one of those you'd splurge on your wedding day, you'd feel like the very best version of yourself and you'd remember it forever. It was like, what would actually happen in women's lives if they felt that level of power, that level of um, self-confidence every single day? And I think that it would lead to women feeling like more of a boss, getting promoted more, asking more for a raise, getting going after what they want in their life having more spontaneous moments that just occur. Like, I think that when I feel great about myself, like magical things happen in my life. And so because I always put so much importance on fashion and I've always admired designers so much, I felt like if I could bring that level of fashion freedom and that level of level of power to women that I could actually change their lives. And it's that passion that has sustained me, not only over the last 10 years, but will sustain me for the next however long it takes to continue to run this business and continue to innovate. Um, Another kind of fatal flaw I sometimes see in entrepreneurs or in this idea of entrepreneurship is that it's become so glamorized that all people want is they wanna found something. I'm like, I didn't start Rent the Runway because I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I started Rent the Runway because I want women to feel incredible about themselves every single day. And that's what drives me to get excited when I hear the alarm in the morning. Mm. And that's why when people told me for years that this would never work and they never would want to work with me or Rent the Runway and that this would ruin their business, that I'm like, you know what? When there's a will, there's a way. And we will continue to build the company so that it actually is something that is incredibly helpful to customers and to brands. Jen, thank you again. This was great. Thank you.
0: And that's a wrap. That's the first season of Drive. We've really enjoyed bringing these seven episodes to you. If you missed out on some of the other episodes with Tom Chapman from matches or Jose Nevis from Farfetch or the legendary Diane von Furstenberg, check out the channel drive on Apple podcasts and you can listen to all of the podcasts that we did in this series and stay tuned for more next season. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to hear more episodes and give us a rating and email us at podcasts at with any questions or guest suggestions. To learn more about BOF, click on the description notes in this episode.